This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? Be? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks we should send Jeff Sessions back home to the North Pole, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Jose Antonio Vargas, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, documentary filmmaker, and now a book author. His new book is called Dear America, Notes from an Undocumented Citizen. Jose, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We both had traffic problems here in New York, didn't we? <laughs> yes. Jeez, we solved those. Anyway, I'm so excited to talk about this, but I want people to get a sense of who you are first, and, and I want to talk a little bit about your background, how you got to decide to write this, because you've been a journalist for much of your career. Yeah, like when I, um, so I found that I was here illegally when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And then my English teacher, this was in 1997, my English teacher, Mrs. Dewar, said I asked too many annoying questions and, <laughs> I, sh and I should do this thing called journalism. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what that where was. Where did you grow up? Where did you Mountain View, mm -hmm. like where Google is on Hard. the other side of oh, El Camino. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, there's no writers in my family. But mm -hmm. then I found out that when you become a journalist, you get a thing called a byline. So right. your name would be on the paper. Mm -hmm. So my naive, my naive self thought, if I can't be here because I don't have the right papers, well, what if my name was on the paper? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally the only reason right. why I became a journalist. Right. Just so my name could exist somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I could say that I'm really here. Right. And it was... I mean, I, when I think about it now, how ironic that is that I'm supposed to hide because, you know, undocumented people like me are supposed to just kind of, mm -hmm. you know. Keep quiet. Keep quiet. But I was in a profession that was not quiet. But as a journalist, it wasn't me, right? Mm -hmm. I was writing other people's stories. Right. So that was kind of my out. Right. And that's what I did for like, you know, from 16 till I was 30. So you work for, explain for the people. So I work for the Mountain View Voice, mm -hmm. which is a local community newspaper. Feel surprise winner. <laughs> that you get every Friday. And then at the San Francisco Chronicle all throughout college. Mm -hmm. And then the Washington Post. Um, and then after that, I went to the Huffington Post, pre-AOL. So right. I launched the technology section and the college section. Mm -hmm. Then the New Yorker. I did like a profile of Mark Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. Kind of the first, you know. And what were you, what was your focus then? It was a lot of tech stuff. You did. You it was a lot of tech stuff. Um, that, but really more, I, I always considered technology's anthropology. Mm -hmm. I was always from that perspective of how it's changing culture and what it says about demographic changes. And what does it say? Right. Well, I mean, I think you hear the democratize, you know, the fact that it's democratizing information. Allegedly, yeah. Allegedly, there's mm -hmm. that. But from the very beginning, I thought all the niche, <laughs> like, right? Like, I think Ava DuVernay said, I heard her say something 
recently about how the 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 riches are in the niches, <laughs> right? And so yeah. I think with with the rise of, I mean, even at the Washington Post, I made an entire beat about the marriage of politics and the internet. Right. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll never forget. You're Len, one of the first who did that. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'll never forget Len Downey, like mm-hmm. the former editor of the Washington Post, come to my desk going like, "Are these Ron Paul people real?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and Downey. And then, I rem- and then um, I'll never forget this. Try I, getting him to write about the internet in 1992. <laughs> but, you know, but and then I'll never forget, I went to— after, I was at the Washington Post. I that was at the Washington Post. Yeah. After after Barack Obama announced he was running for president, I went to Iowa. Mm-hmm. And I went. I was, it was the first trip right after he announced. I went because of all these kids using this thing called Facebook. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I wanted to prove to my editor that these kids were real. Right, right. So that was my beat. So my beat was all these you were early. all these kids. This was early. I think it was the first time actually Facebook was on the front page of the Washington, of, of a newspaper about politics. Mm-hmm. And of course at that time Don Graham was on the board of mm-hmm. Facebook. He was. And so I would get like a little note saying, Hey, that was an interesting article on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just really interested in like, you know, especially back then in 07 and 08. Like I thought, which was already late. It was already late because it was ten years before it had yes, started. Yeah, but but in terms of where DC was, right? It absolutely. Was, you know, right? no, they were still using blackberries. They were still week. using blackberries. I mean, they actually really thought these people were not real. Mm-hmm. And 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 I thought it was so interesting in terms of like thinking of the internet as like Walmart, right? And you had all the Latin people and the black people and the gay people. Like the fact that all those quote unquote niches were really gathering around Obama. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget being in a meeting, in a political meeting, early morning and saying to the people that I actually thought Barack Obama had a chance to win the primary. Mm-hmm. And everybody but David Broder thought I was nuts. Really? David right. Broder was the one who said, hmm, there might be something there, young man. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and then he gave me um, a copy of The Boys on the Bus. Oh, right. Yeah. And, you know, this was in 08. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. was still pretty much Boys and the right. Bus. Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. White Boys But bus, mind you, while all this was happening, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I lied to the Washington Post about getting the job. Right. So I, there was only one person in the newsroom who knew that I was undocumented, Peter Pearl. He mm-hmm. was like part of the senior management. And yep. when I got hired, four months after I got hired, I think by October 2004, mm-hmm. I started freaking out. Right. So I thought I had to tell somebody. So I picked this guy. He taught me the word of the meeting, mensch. Mm-hmm. And, then, and I didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him and I expected him to say, Okay, we got to go tell Len Downey. We got to go to right. HR. Right. Instead, and I write this in the book. Instead, he says, "You make so much more sense now." Mm-hmm. I can only imagine how I must have seemed. And then he goes, "Don't tell anybody else." Wow. So whenever I was like, you know, when I was in right. Iowa for the yeah. first time driving, I didn't really know how to drive. I just gotten my license. Like, right. You know, when I was on Sarah Palin covering her campaign in, you know, in Indiana, I would just call Peter. I'm like. And Peter was like, Jose, you worry too much, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that's true. So no one's going to find out. your undocumented status. Except yeah. for what your parents explained. Yeah, so my mom, one morning um, I woke up in the Philippines and my bag was packed and she sent me to the airport. And uh, she's, I was going to live with her parents, my grandparents, mm-hmm. who were naturalized U.S. citizens. You had grown, what, what age? I, I was 12. Mm-hmm. And my mom said she was going to follow. Right. So that was the understanding. So I got to Mountain View and when why? I was 12. And why? What was the— The reason was a better life was here. I mean, you know, my right. grandparents had been here since the mid-'80s. They're both mm-hmm. naturalized U.S. citizens, as I said. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, a, constru- a food server, my, my grandma at NASA, mm-hmm. and then my grandfather was a security guard at all kind of those biotech right. companies right. in, like, Mountain View. Yeah, yeah. So got here when I was 12. Everything was fine. 
you know, it was 1993 when I got here. Although I have to tell you, though, like, I thought I was in the wrong country when I landed <laughs> <laughs> because America was like Baywatch and like right. Oprah and Michael and Jackson. And then I landed at LAX and right. it was like, who are these people? They right. look like me. Right. You know, right. I didn't know that America was like Latino right. and Asian and all that. Mm-hmm. So then four years after getting here, uh, I went to the DMV to get a driver's license mm-hmm. in Mountain View right across from Target. And that's how I found out the woman at the DMV. She was really the first person to tell me that the green card was fake. Oh. And then she said, don't come back here again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the moment she said that, <laughs> the first thought in my head was, I'm not Mexican. Right. Because back then, even it back was, then, when was, I was 16, you yeah. know, any everybody in the news, everybody said yeah, that every this was about Mexican people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since my name is so Hispanic, it's of Spanish colonialism, I thought right. maybe she thought it was Mexican. And so I said, no, 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 no. And then I confronted my grandfather, of course, after I found this out. And then my grandfather said, yes, you're not supposed to be here, right? And so that's how I found out. And then I guess his plan was... I was going to marry, I was going to work under the table jobs. Like his first plan was the flea market on Briasa Road in San Jose. <laughs> that was the first thing because my, his brother, his brother worked there as a janitor and he thought he could get me a job there. And then he thought that I would just marry a woman who's a U.S. citizen and poof. You'd become naturalized. And then, of course, I told him at that time that I was gay. That's oh, why. Big problem. <laughs> right? <laughs> Thank, you know, and, and really that was... Right? I mean, I, when I think back of it now, like, it was really a way of kind of declaring my sense of independence, right? Right, like, right. Cause, Because basically what he wanted to do was have me lie again. Right. Why Why not the process? Why not put to put? Because there wasn't one. I mean, yeah. th- but that's the thing, though. I didn't know that. So I was 16, right? Right. I didn't tell anybody. I told my—the only person I told was Arvin Murthy, who was, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, my best friend from choir, mm-hmm. because he was always the one driving me. He was the one who said, get a freaking driver's Drive permit. I'm sick of driving you. Right. I was sick of driving mm-hmm. you and Matteo to Camry. Get a driver's permit. So I told him, and, you know, Arvin, Indian family, no, it was like, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know. Right. So we didn't tell anybody. By the time my high school principal found out, I was already a senior— And all of my teachers and the people who mentored me at Mountain View High School were wondering why I wasn't applying for college, Mm -hmm. right? Because I couldn't. Because you're a good student. I was was okay, but there were no financial aid, right? I figured out that papers, you can't get financial aid. So I thought I'll just work. You know, at that time, I was already working at the Mountain View Voice Mm -hmm. as a a city hall reporter. I was Mm -hmm. making $10 an hour. Wow. So I figured that was pretty good, good, right? That was very good. I went from like $25 an article to like $10 an hour. Mm -hmm. Why not? And so then I told my principal that I'm not going to go to college. And then, what are you talking about? And that's when I told her. Right. Um, And then she told the superintendent, who then told the college counselor. And Mm -hmm. then everybody tried to adopt me. Right. Because they thought, let's just adopt this kid and we'll figure this out. Because, you know, this was in 2000. There was no Dream Act. There was nothing. Right. right? And then their lawyers all told them he's too old. Hmm. So if my, if I had found out, if I had told people early enough, when I was 16, 16. it still could have been, but, but, you know, my grandparents are... They didn't believe in lawyers. Right. right? They, were hiding. Like, they were hiding in plain sight. They, they, were, that, they were used to that. Yeah, they were used to that. Even though yeah. they had papers, they right. just didn't trust that whole system. Right. So that's why there's no process. And 
grandparents, it's not close enough of a relationship for a grandfather or grandmother to petition. Right. You know, and to this day, as a journalist who happens to be undocumented, the number one question people ask me from Bill Maher to everywhere is, why don't you just go fix this thing? Like, I'm supposed to, like, turn off a light switch and, right. like, poof. You can't. I'm an American stealing your welfare. Right. But it's incredible, though, how much we talk about this issue mm-hmm. and yet how little people know, know about the process. About process. No, I— Right. And, you know, I mean, I think Silicon Valley, we know more right. because of h right. visas and all that. But for the most part, the American public has even right. the media right. has no idea how this works. So you so your grandparents didn't do anything at the time because no. they weren't trust the system. Yep. Nobody in the schools could do something. So people increasingly found out, but nobody had a solution for you. Nobody it? had a solution for me, except Getting they married. all were. Well, that, right. well, that, actually, not a solution. But, you know, what was interesting yeah. there, though, you know, I was lucky that I grew up you know, south of San Francisco. And all of those teachers and administrators were so welcoming of my being gay because mm-hmm. I ended up actually coming out as gay in the high school. Right. Because I couldn't be in two closets at once. Right, I had to right. get out of one of them. So right. I figured, yeah. get out yeah. of the gay one. Yeah, you know? you're out of all of them now. <laughs> yeah. But, but thankfully, I grew up in a community where I was supported right. because of being gay. Right. And then, but this immigration thing, they were like, we don't know what this is. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And so I was, you just continued yeah, on. You just I just continued. And every step along the way, you know, including in the book, I I actually ended up explaining how I got a driver's license because mm-hmm. I would not have had a career in journalism right, if I didn't a have a driver's license. Right. And at that time, there were only two states that allowed us to drive. I don't know how this happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like a journalist, I, you know, research every sure. state's requirement. It was Oregon and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So Oregon's closer to Mountain View. So yeah. I went to Oregon. And you don't want to go to and then, for that. <laughs> and then every single mentor, my principal, my superintendent, mm-hmm. the superintendent's assistant, mm-hmm. all helped me get the license. Meaning they actually sent letters to Portland, right. Oregon, so right. I could I could have a proof of ID. Right. Now right. mind you, right. now Oregon doesn't let people like me drive anymore. In 2014, Oregon made marijuana legal, and mm-hmm. it took away the right of undocumented people to drive. To drive, yeah. right. There's only 12 states that allow people like me to drive. New York is not one of them. Right. Florida is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Texas, 1.8 million undocumented people is not one of not them. Not one of them. They so, just drive anyway. I mean, how do people yeah. get, I'm sorry, is there a subway system everywhere in this country that we no, don't know about? they just drive anyway. They just drive anyway. They drive anyway. Even though they're not supposed to. Yeah. And by the way, that's how a, that's how a lot of people ended up, end up getting arrested. And before you when know they it, go. they're detained. And before right. you know it, they're right. deported. So why would you? Same so, I, you know, for me, when people talk to me about immigration reform, I'm mm-hmm. like, can we talk about driver's licenses first? Right. For, or right. other things, other basic or, services. Just basic services that like, how Explain do you Explain how survive? your grandparents got you into school then. Oh, it was a immunization card right. and a birth certificate. Because, you know, in this country, public schools is actually mm-hmm. the, the Supreme Court has decided mm-hmm. that people like me can go to school and people don't ask questions. Right. Although there are now some state measures like that are trying to prevent that. Like, right. of course, in California, to Prop 187. People. To catch people. To catch Prop 187, though, in right. California, right, in mm-hmm. the mid-90s was, right. was an attempt at that's that. That's right, But was. that failed. Right. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's how. Yeah. But, you know— at that time, though, this was, again, late 90s, early 2000s, there was no other kind of services. So the Post never found out about this. And that's yeah. that's what was astounding to me was— Just for m- listeners, how did they pay you? Explain. Oh, no, 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 no. They paid me like they would pay me. So mm-hmm. I used—my grandfather ended up getting me a Social Security number that wasn't valid for employment. It says mm-hmm. very clearly, mm-hmm. not valid for employment. Mm-hmm. And then he took photocopies of it. And the mm-hmm. photocopied version is what I always gave employers. Oh, right. And they never checked. They never checked. Right. So that, that's why for me, part of 
my kind of coming out and talking about this is like, right. wait a second, if we're actually serious about knowing who's here, don't we really want to know? Right, who's like, here. So yeah. why, why was I, you know, in the book, I ended up structuring the book kind of lying, passing, and hiding. Those right. are like right. the three exactly, stages, yeah. right? So how are we able to just pass? I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I, I it happens. Know. It ha- and uh, throughout the whole time, I remember when I first got an, um, a letter from the Social Security Administration. I was like, wait, how do they know that I'm, right? I mean, they knew my address, and then right. they told me that I had paid, like, 30000 into the system. Right. And I'm thinking, isn't the number not valid for work? So how do they? They got paid. They, so, but, again, the IRS, Doesn't you know, know what, what it's they paid. don't care right. whether or not you're here legally. They just want your taxes. I right. mean, I have paid so much taxes, I should be a Republican. <laughs> I, I mean, I have. You know, I, by the way, I'm totally fine paying yeah, taxes. But you're like, not getting them back the way you're I, supposed no, to. you're not. But, I'm a, you know, I'm a product of public school. I love public libraries. Right, right. So I'm more than happy to pay you're the taxes. Taking your, your, yeah. <laughs> you're taking but, your money out. But can you at least but you not, won't be getting Social Security. You no, won't I won't. Getting, I yeah. won't be getting any of that out. Right, because you put it in. But think about it for a second. So the the IRS and the Social Security Administration know that this is happening. Mm-hmm. So are they talking to anybody else in the government? No, they're taking the money. They're just taking the money. They're taking the money. So again, like, let's be honest about all of this, right? right? So again, right. I'm happy to pay the money, but can you not call us like we're insect off your backs? Can right. you like acknowledge right. the fact that we actually have families we have to support? Right. Can you at least and let us drive? And are contributing. And are contributing. Are contributing. So, you, so you get to, you move on to the Huffington Post. This Ariana Same Huffington, yep. Yeah. Same thing. And then no one caught me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at for me, though, the biggest deadline was the driver's license, that Oregon license. Mm-hmm. So it was valid from 2003 till 2011. Right. So it was like this ticking time, me knowing right. that, okay, to this thing is expiring, it's expiring, it's expiring. So at the time I got at the, at the Huffington Post, I was already like 29. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it was almost over. Right. And then I had to make a decision. Do I stay? Because at that time, it's not like no one, it's not like anybody was threatening me or anybody right, was no. finding out. It was all inside, right? right? Absolutely. So it was either I keep lying mm-hmm. or I leave. I actually thought about that for a while. Going I thought, why not just, thing. yeah. Because, you know, I, I haven't seen my mom since I left, mm-hmm. right? So um, she can't even come in on a tourist visa. She's been denied three times now mm-hmm. because cause she doesn't own property and she's not a college graduate. Ah, what does that tell you about yeah. class, right? Yeah, right? Now, mind you, if she were like a French woman and she wanted to go see Hamilton over the weekend, she could mm-hmm. just buy a plane ticket and poof, she's yeah. in New York. Yeah. And if she yeah. wanted, oh, can overstay her visa. I can't tell you how many undocumented white people greet me at Starbucks. <laughs> 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 no, usually it's like, hey, you know, just, you know, I'm with the same. And then I'm like, what? Mm, and yeah. it's usually French, British, German people right, who feel really guilty. Safe, but safe. Safe, but guilty that whenever this, this issue comes up, it's not about them. Right. Because right. it isn't. Because it isn't. Because it right. isn't. So, so your mom's not allowed to come here. You can't leave the country. I, well, I can, mm-hmm. but if I leave, uh, there's no guarantee I'd be allowed that's back. I mean. So that's a question that I have to like really consider, and mm-hmm. I kind of bring that up in the book, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I've been here 25 years. That's right. a long ass time. Right. And so you consider going back, and what else? I, I considered, but you know, I this is where I'm from. Right. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm ready. I haven't seen Mississippi and Alaska yet. Those are the last two <laughs> states I got to go see. I'm seeing Mississippi next month, Alaska. Uh-huh. I think I'm going to try to figure out what to do so with Sarah So when Palin. did you decide at the Huffington Post that, that you're just going to reveal this? So you've been passing, lying. You know, actually, it was, I, I, had, I had recently said this to, to Mark 
because he because he didn't know to, mm-hmm. to Zuckerberg. So when I did that profile with him, you know, I, I ended up convincing him to just do just the two of us. No, mm-hmm. you know, because usually yeah, there's yeah. like a handler. I'm like, I don't yeah. we need can let's just take a walk. Right. And we were taking that we, walk. We were taking a walk on California Avenue um, in Palo Alto, and he asked me where I was from, mm-hmm. which is a very simple question. Right. I could have just said Mountain View, which is true. Right. But at that moment, where I'm from is like, I'm not supposed to tell you where I'm from, right? right? I'm supposed right. to just kind of gloss it over. Yeah, yeah, gloss yeah. it over. And here right. I am, you know, asking, hard, you know, Mark pretty hard questions about mm-hmm. Facebook and where it was going. And I couldn't even answer that simple question. And mm-hmm. that was when I was like, okay, I have to stop. I have to stop. And then I started planning if I were to do this publicly, what would it mean mm-hmm. legally? Right. So as any good reporter, I spoke to like 20 lawyers and tried to figure out how much trouble I was in. And they're like, right. you're in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. and you're crazy. You should not think about divulging your immigration status. The moment you do that, we can't help you. Right. Because the moment I do it, I actually admit to everything I did, commit fraud, right. break law, right? right? But again, as a journalist, if I'm not going to tell right. the truth, then why do it? Right, right. Well, so on that, that was note, the choice. So we're going to talk about what happened next. Yeah. We have Jose Antonio Vargas. He's written a book called Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. When we get back, we're going to talk more about his journey. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him. The sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. We're here with Jose Antonio Vargas. He's the author of Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. He's also a very good tech reporter, um, which is how I knew him, and I did not know of his undocumented status either, uh, as did not most people did. Most people most did people didn't. <laughs> so was there any other thing to do? There was no legal thing? No. Well, I mean, there were so many different options in terms of if I left Right? Because I think right. a lot of the lawyers were just thinking, why don't you just leave and you can just like, you know, come out here when you're in the Philippines. You can do right. a book. Right. Clearly, I didn't do that. What about uh, staying an American citizen, becoming an American citizen? So there's no, right now there's no, there's no, I no mean, outside that. of, you know, asking the president for a pardon, mm-hmm. aside from asking Congress to pass a private bill. Right, to for absolve, me, yeah. But what? Right. I'm, I, you're already looking at probably the most privileged and documented immigrant in this country, right? I mean, really, let's be honest. <laughs> and there was no Dream Act. Explain right? there was the Dream no Act, Dream Act. For people. So people the Dream know. Act was introduced in 2001, mm-hmm. right? Actually, right. the first hearing was supposed to be in September 11, 2001, mm-hmm. right. and they canceled it, of course, because 9/11. And it was supposed to give permanent legal status to people like me who were brought here as children, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And it was a bipartisan bill. Orrin Hatch right. um, and the senator from Illinois. I'm blacking out his name. It's going to come to me pretty soon. So. Um, 
that was introduced and it never went anywhere. Like right now, there's no Dream Act, right? Mm-hmm. Um, since 2001, this has been introduced. And right now we have this thing called DACA, right? right. Which is what President Obama did right. in 2012. By executive order. By executive order, which is temporary. Mm-hmm. I have probably heard from— Which is what, what's been being batted about. Which has been batted about, right? Over the wall. Over the wall. and and But, but here's what I find really ironic about this. The DACA solution or the DREAM Act solution is supposed to be, quote-unquote, the most palatable thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, the, the narrative was, these are our kids. They went right. to school here. If we can't even figure out what to do with them, right. how are we going right. to address their parents? Right, and or, this would have given broad immunity to them to be would, on, yes, a pathway to America. A pathway, citizen. although that's always been, yeah. is it just legality right. or is it also citizenship? Because, right. you know, there's some proposals out there just like, let's just make them legal, but let's let's never make them citizens. citizens right? Or which never. is why the title of the book has the right. word citizen on it. Right? right. So we have been in this and you did not qualify for this. Well, the DACA thing, I was four months too old. Right. I was four months too Man. old. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. And I'm like, I'm Asian. We age well. Can't that, <laughs> can't that count for anything? But, you know. So I, they couldn't adopt you. They couldn't they couldn't get into DACA. Yeah. But but look, like, I am. I am. So for me, though. So I, when you decided to just be public, you went to all these lawyers. You went to all these lawyers. Yeah. And for me. They said nothing. You, they said nothing was going to do it. DACA doesn't work. And for me, though, from the very beginning, it was like, how do we kind of change the way we talk about this issue? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember when I was uh, when I was in high school, Ellen DeGeneres in the cover of Time Magazine was like. Yeah, that cover was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think two years— it was years, Newsweek, wasn't it? It was time. It was, it was time. time. Okay. And then two years later, Will and Grace, the number one show on television. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, the work that GLAAD has mm-hmm. done, right, yeah. is like how do you change this issue that is so— I mean, I remember back then in 2004, 2003 when, you know, gay marriage was still, quote-unquote, just a political issue. Right. It wasn't right. a cultural conversation. Right, right. So, at, you know, when I came out, I started this organization called Define American, and the mm-hmm. whole goal is how do we humanize this thing and make it— actually about people. Right, exactly. Right? right? But again, that's a tough thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because everybody just wants to talk about partisan, you know, everybody just wants to talk about policy and, and politics. different kinds of immigrants it's from different countries, like you were talking about. The British exactly. are palatable yeah. versus the Mexicans who are not. You know, um, like the Mandarin and Spanish and Tagalog accents isn't viewed right, quite as sexy I mean. as and French and German. that's yeah. what Trump is using is these horrible And you know, the for, only thing, not the only thing, but to me at least, I when you say shithole countries, everything it just it's been created. It's so overt. It's so mm-hmm. open. Mm-hmm. So now the question is, where do we go from here, though? Like, yeah. Where do we go? Like, what where do we do, actually do? Right. Right. So where do you go? So you did this. You said, oh, forget it, lawyers. It doesn't yeah. matter. I've already done um, the crime. <laughs> right? Well, I've already I've already right. broken those laws that I wasn't supposed to break in terms mm-hmm. of employment and fraud. Right. And that and and that's the other thing, by the way, is to telling people that being here illegally is actually. It's not a crime, right? Mm-hmm. It's a misdemeanor offense. Mm-hmm. And so, but we are so used to tying criminality with this issue. Right. Right. Which is why I remember right. when I got, you know, in the book, I ended up talking about what it was like to be detained in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I just never forget sitting in the in the cement floor of this jail cell looking at these boys from Central America mm-hmm. and thinking, this is how morally corrupt we are. Yeah. Like, we actually think these kids are illegal. Mm-hmm. We have put them in jail because right. they walked right. to come here. Right. Now, mind you, if they had walked from Canada— 
it would have been a humanitarian. Disney would have given them, right, you know, right, free right. Disneyland trips, right? Right. right I mean, yeah. I just think the whole, yeah, the, the the whole the way we think about this is all really. So, what has up. happened recently in that regard? Well, I mean, I think you know, I remember when is it Trump just Trump or got just, elected. He's just articulating. Well, I think from Laura pol- Ingram's been banging away on her racist way. drum, but I for think a long from time. a from a policy standpoint, this is as worse as it's going to get. Yeah. Right, and because it had been going back and forth, especially tech people, Mark included. I've been trying. I've been trying, but uh-huh. when the Obama, when Obama was still in office, but this has been a bipartisan mess. Let me explain something really, okay. really important here. So in the mid '90s, when we were doing, when Bill Clinton was fighting the war against, you know, welfare, right, mm-hmm. was the same time we started fighting the war against quote unquote illegals. Right. So around that time in the mid '90s, he he signed immigration bills. So for example, if I were to leave this country, mm-hmm. I would face this called a ten-year bar. Mm-hmm. That's because of pres- what President Clinton signed into law. Right. We have met at Define American so many uh, husbands and wives, wives who are married to Mexican immigrants mm-hmm. who have crossed the border more than twice. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they're banned for life. So even though they're married, they can't adjust their status. Right. So meaning this has been from a policy standpoint, from Clinton to Bush to Obama to Trump. So Trump is the manifestation of all of these right. policies that have really made no sense at all. Right, which have gone back and forth and never, we, but never have had the pathway to citizenship. Never had the pathway to citizenship. Right. And which again tells us like what this, what constitutes citizenship, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right? right? I'll never forget, I did this event in North Carolina and this, this elderly black woman came to the event. I guess she saw me on PBS or something. Mm-hmm. And so she brought this old piece of paper. I, and then she, afterward, the, the event, she came over to me and she said, Mr. Vargas, I'm not an immigrant. My ancestors were brought here, right? right. Slavery. And then she opened the piece of paper. It was a bill of sale. I'd never seen one oh before. And you know what she said to me? She goes, can you connect the piece of paper that my great-great-grandmother got to the pieces of papers that you and your people can't seem to get? Mm-hmm. This is not about papers, young man. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, I, I had this young uh, man from San Juan, Puerto Rico, a, f- a few months ago when I was writing the book. He emailed me and said, hey, I know that you're not a citizen, Jose, but, you know, I'm a citizen. I'm Puerto Rican, but it doesn't mean everything, man. Look at how they're treating us. Right, right, right. What is a citizen? What And what level of a citizenship level? do you get? And, and to me, so, which therefore means what? It means legality has always been about power. right. It has always been 100%. about. It has always been about who gets to define that for whom. Right. Right. And so, of course, I applaud all of these organizations. You know, it's it's, it's not just Mark. It's Michael Bloomberg. It's mm-hmm. like all these tech people who are like, let's just pass immigration reform and this will solve itself. Mm-hmm. I would certainly hope that the Trump era is showing them that passing a bill and passing a law is not enough. No. no. Right. We've we got to change the We have in this country people. right now. We have forty three million immigrants in this country. Eleven million of whom are here undocumented. Right. Forty three right. million. According to Pew, in the next 50 years, 88% of the total U.S. population growth is going to come from those 43 million people. Right. So you have a country that can't even, you know, has a panic attack whenever Black Lives Matter is brought up. Mm -hmm. That's always been black and white. That is now way more complicated. Right. And that's why for me— So explain why the immigration reform that the tech people tried didn't work. That was the last go-round, I think. That was the last go-round. But but I think a lot of it has to do with how willing— there is now the tension between 
what these, not just tech groups, but like a lot of advocates and lobbyists want Mm -hmm. versus what the undocumented community actually want. Because guess Mm -hmm. what the X factor is? Social media. Right. Right? I mean, I would argue that— like the dreamers, mm-hmm. right, were really the first kind of social media-oriented right. young activists, meaning right. they were the ones who started going into those offices of the senators and the congressmen and the congresswomen saying, wait a second, right. you're not just going to like, what's the, what, what about my parents? Right. right, right. Meaning like solving the DREAM Act is not enough. What right. about my parents? Right, right. So meaning whatever they put out, I remember when, when, when Mark was starting forward, he didn't even have a name yet. I said to him, that's great that you're getting into this, but Mark, please make sure that the moment you come out and support immigration, that it's not just about H-1B visas. Right, that which it's it not typically just about is for dreamers. tech workers. I always say that. They're like, they, we, 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 I had an interesting talk with a bunch of them, and they were like, HB1B. I think, what about everybody else? Like, you have to be for all of them. What about all the nannies? Right. Yeah. What about all the farmers? And, you right. know, I mean, uh, to, to his credit, Forward is actually way more inclusive than mm-hmm. a lot of the other yeah. a lot of the other kind of, you know, tech firms trying to get immigration done. Usually it's just, oh, look at these dreamers. Aren't they so inspiring? Because ties in with what Trump does say, which is we want the talented ones. Like, he does say that out loud. Yeah, which is why right. this, it's dangerous to say that they're the good kind of immigrants and the bad kind of immigrants. Right. What does that mean? Or or to call people, I remember this is the thing that really gets at me, low-skilled labor and mm-hmm. high-skilled right. labor. I'm right. sorry, I come from a family of farmers. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember in the Philippines, you know, harvesting rice. There's nothing low-skilled about harvesting rice. Right, right. Right. And right. so... But, but it is interesting that, that tech sometimes is on the same side as Trump as I can, as far as I can hear it. About, about this, this, again, narrative They're just of, not pushing for the other one. They're yeah. not pushing. But, but again, back to your point, though, you're totally right that this exceptionalism Right. Right? They have to be exceptional. I don't want to have to compare my resume to other people. Right, to get into this country. So you decide, forget it, finish journalism. Yeah. And to well, come I, out. I so still consider myself a journalist in that right. way, although but some people— You come out. You come yeah, out, come like, out. As, a, as, a, as an undocumented citizen. So gay and undocumented. So that's when did, it, by when the way. You, when did you— <laughs> That's it. No more coming out. That's a out winner. There. That's, that's a it. Winner no more. Nothing. No, nothing. No more. So I'm just trying to think. Your only option is to marry, correct? No. So even if I do oh, that— because you for fraud. It, you committed fraud. fraud. Right. So it's really a private bill or mm-hmm. a pardon from the president or I leave. Yeah. Or immigration reform passes. And then immunity. You have an immunity. So those are the four options on the table. And let's go through each of them. One. <laughs> not getting a pardon from anybody. Not asking the anybody for any pardon. I'm pardon. not. Have doing you a talked to Kim bill. Kardashian? She might be able to help you. But go ahead. I'm teasing. Um, uh, <laughs> a private bill? No. Because no. what message would that send? Right. I mean, I would have. I should have done that seven years ago if that's what I was going right. to do. Right. So the third would be leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which. Which and then you'd never be able to come back, right? Probably, probably have, not. Probably. You wouldn't not. be able to come back with any kind of visa. Well, I could apply, but again. But they know. But they'd know, and yeah. And so, does, um, that, does that earn you a lifetime ban? I don't know that yet. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, and the thing is, my grandmother, who raised me, just turned 81. She's mm-hmm. in Mountain View. Mm-hmm. It's a couple of miles from Google. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just can't bear the thought of my leaving here, and then right. whatever happens, and then what, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I've heard horror stories from people who watch their, um, who can't go to the to the memorial service of their loved ones, and right. they do it through Skype. Right. Or exactly. FaceTime. It sounds right? terrible. It's that horrible. Terrible. And then the fourth? The fourth would be, hold If on. they pass. If they pass immigration reform, whenever and that's going to be. Where is that? When is that? Nowhere. Oh. Absolutely nowhere. And again, I think we have to use this as an opportunity mm-hmm. to ask ourselves harder questions. Right. Which, which, what, kind of, what kind of immigration reform? What kind of immigration reform? But also, why are they coming? Mm-hmm. 
why are people coming, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think in, in the tech community, there's an easier answer there. We need jobs, right? But even when I was stuck in that, in that jail cell with those boys, you know, what was, was, what was interesting was most of them were wearing shoes. They were either Adidas, Nike, or, mm-hmm. um, or Reebok, mm-hmm. right? Like it, American brands, <laughs> right. right? I mean, I find it so fascinating that this iPhone right here can actually go to more places than my mother and I can. <laughs> Right? Like, yeah. I mean, this iPhone can be manufactured in China, delivered to Cupertino, end up in New York, where I bought it on Fifth Avenue. Right. This iPhone can go to more places than I can as a mm-hmm. human being. Mm-hmm. So all the—and given your audience, and I, I wanted to make sure that I really say this, I think it's really wonderful that, you know, tech optimists want to open up the world and want to connect, you know, and want to and want to provide tools for people to, to connect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But while we do that, can we also guarantee that people can actually mm-hmm. have the natural right to move? Right. Because, right. you know, it's actually natural, moving. Absolutely. There's nothing more that's natural. The that's how, that's how the whole country was founded on. Right. Unless you're Native American, African American, you came here from somewhere, mm-hmm. right? So I think, how do we get the tech community to understand that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I used to be so offended by this term global citizen. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I always thought it came from this privileged place of, sure. I can just go wherever I want to go this weekend right. kind of thing. Well, there's 258 million migrants in this world, mm-hmm. according to, to the UN, Right. Who welcomes them, where they get to be a citizen, right? That, to me, is one of the questions. Well, the the problem is the global mood towards this has turned, not just here, which it always, we've always been this. Has always been, we have always, I mean, talk to the Irish, talk to the Chinese, yeah, exactly. right? This so this always been part of our history, but right. but the difference but though is this. But in places like Sweden and other places which yes, were very welcoming, yes. it's shifted really Which is why for me, they call it a global migration crisis. I would rather call it a natural progression of history. Right. So if you drew why up a that? map of the world, mm-hmm. so for example, there are 4 million Filipinos here in the United States. We're the third largest immigrant group. It's Mexicans, Chinese and then Filipinos, right? Mm -hmm. When I was doing this book, actually, the publisher was asking me, why does my name Jose doesn't have an accent on the E? Right. Right? Filipinos don't put accent on the E. Okay, that wasn't enough of a good reason. I had to actually investigate. So I got my name because of Spanish colonialism. There's no accent in the E because when the Americans took over after the Spanish-American War, their typewriters that they brought to the Philippines didn't have accent marks. So So my name is a a combination of Spanish colonialism and American imperialism. Mm -hmm. So for me, though— And typewriters. And typewriters. For me, if all these Western countries can come to our countries— right to develop their industries, right, as, as a sign of their political and economic policies mm-hmm. and power. Why can't we come to theirs? That is an excellent question, Jose. When we get back, we're going to talk about where we're going to go with this and where it's going to happen and what's going to happen to you. Oh, no. I don't know. When we get back, <laughs> we're here with Jose Antonio Vargas, who's very jolly considering his situation. He's the author of Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. 
If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're here with Jose Antonio Vargas, riveting discussion about being an undocumented citizen and how the path to citizenship in his book, Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. What's amazing is so so many undocumented citizens aren't quite as articulate as you are about their, their problem, and you're trying to put this human face on it. I've been to several different things uh, that in, impact tech people have done, uh, the the Emerson Collective around oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, uh, Carne Arenas, which is an amazing VR mm-hmm. show, yep. which is really yep. interesting. Which is fascinating. fascinating. I mean, that was, and really, kudos to me. I have to, I have to say this, by the way. The fact that Lorene Powell job sees the role of art and storytelling in this yes. to me. Yes, with the big photographs. It's, Absolutely. It's amazing. So but but again, like she's been she's been one of the exceptions. Because people mm-hmm. think in DC, all you gotta do is pass immigration reform. Right. So talk or, about the role of story, because you're telling a story here of yourself. Yeah. Which I didn't really want to do, by the way. You're saying the DACA, the, they use social media. They're trying yeah. to tell stories. They're trying here to tell I stories. am, I've done this. Well, the coming out movement. That's mm-hmm. why for me, using kind of the LGBTQ rights. That's a really a good. I hadn't thought about that. But so, it's like, a you great know, but idea. you know, but you come out to let people in, mm-hmm. right? And that's in the a book, great way of putting it. And in the book, I made an effort to really. I came out to tell my mom to drive my mother crazy. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like I, 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 I tell the story in the book of all of these teachers and mentors, right? Mm-hmm. Who were kind of my. They were like my underground railroad of people. And I'm saying that with all the respect to African-American history. I was an African-American studies major in college. So the fact that there's all these people who have helped people like me, right? Um, And the fact that we never really hear their stories. Because it doesn't make sense on a basic level when you know the people. That's the, you know, when you actually, that's the... Which gets us back to the LGBT rights movement, right? Oh, no, not them. Like, because it takes people out of this. As you know, if you remember from... um, What's his name? The movie that was about gays in movies. Oh, it was a great film. Oh, uh, the Cellular Closet. Cellular Closet. Yeah. I showed that actually to my mom, and at, who was, I would say, quite homophobic for initially. Still is a little bit, you know, just every now and then. Again, she lets loose one. But, um, <laughs> but she, when she saw that, I'll never forget, she goes, now I know why people hate gay people. Like watching it, because of all the, f- the the visuals coming at you about gay people were either really get really sexual, sexual sexualized, predatory, or silly, but always dead in the end and tragic, always tragic and yeah. sad and pathetic. And once the images changed, and when it was Ellen, who everybody likes Ellen, or when it was you know Will and Grace, or when, mm-hmm. when they started, to, when the images started to change and everyone started to come out, and especially with the anger around AIDS. I think that helped fuel it, silence equals death. It was all together. It was a palatability, and it was also, no, we're not going to be, we're not going to, remember Angel America, we're Mm. no longer going to be quiet citizens. The white cracker wrote the national anthem, knew what he was doing, (laughs) Doing, right? He said the note to the word free so high, nobody could reach it. Right. So that was, to me, it's actually a really good analogy. It's people got angry, and also people got 
palatable. I don't want to say palatable, but it's like you started to hear their stories, and they, and then it was your friend, and then it was. So just, that was really my goal seven years yeah. ago when I started doing this, and right. then again looking at Glad, looking mm-hmm. at what they've already set up. So this is the biggest part of our work right now. Mm-hmm. I made a film for MTV called White People. Yep. This was like three years ago now, mm-hmm. and when we were making it. MTV did a study that was really interesting to me because I didn't know this. Seventy-four percent of white people live in predominantly white towns. Mm-hmm. Did not know that, and ninety percent of white people have predominantly white friends. Also did not know that, did Mm -hmm. not realize that. Meaning what? Meaning the only time you would get to know a person of color or an immigrant is the news you consume and the television shows and movies you watch. Right. So what the media tells you about who these people are is of absolute importance. So at Define American, our two biggest goals is how do we get the news media to be much more responsible and contextual in the way they talk about it? And entertainment media, how do we help producers, writers, directors, to actually better tell more accurate stories of the 43 million immigrants who's going to constitute the rest of America. Which is happening, correct? A lot of, we're doing a lot of that work. Right now, we've consulted on 43 projects Mm -hmm. uh, with 11 networks. So meaning they sent us scripts, right? And we look at them and we're like, um, actually, one time, I'm not going to mention the show, they're like, we're going to introduce this undocumented character and then the next episode, we'll make him legal. And we're like... Yeah, no, no. <laughs> magic. Is it magic? Are you yeah. just going to go, poop, he's legal. Yeah. But but these are well-meaning people right. who are like, right. we don't know that we can't just make them legal. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, if Hollywood doesn't know this, right. then we're really – so that's – for us, that's really for us in terms of how do we – what what is the cultural conversation mm-hmm. like? So that's what we're trying to do. How does social media play into it? Well, the problem with that is we just create – you know, it's so rare – I made an effort in the book to include what it was, what it's been like for me to go on Fox News, mm-hmm. what it's been like for me to really go talk to conservatives and Republicans who are ready to deport me when they see me. And then the moment I show my tax forms, they're like, what do you mean you pay taxes? Right. What? That's, yeah. young man, you should sue the government. Right, right, <laughs> They right. like turn. Right. The moment they find out I pay taxes <laughs> and I have no representation, right. the libertarians particularly yeah. are like, what? what do you mean? You no should taxation sue the government. without representation. Right? You so, illegal immigrant. Meaning, but what they've been told on Fox News since the 90s, right. I mean, the success of the right that on you're this. Living off the, you're living yes. off the dole. The anti-immigrant machine as it exists, mm-hmm. from Fox to Breitbart to Drudge to the White House. Right. There is no equivalent on the left. Mm-hmm. There is no equivalent mm-hmm. on the left. And why is that? What because is- I think, again, we are, we, for the most part, people are stuck on just the policy and the politics of it. And not they the do not understand that we are actually in the middle of a culture war. Mm-hmm. I would argue that we are in the middle of the biggest culture war this country has ever seen when mm-hmm. it comes to what this country looks like and where we're going. Mm-hmm. And people are stuck talking about policy. Uh, on some level, though, what this country looks like, it's inevitable. Inevitable. That's the thing. The country is only going to get gayer. Gayer. More women will have more power. Latinos and Asians, California. Mm -hmm. Latinos and Asians, you combine them, Mm -hmm. they're the majority. This is what America is. Mm -hmm. So, but the thing though is, how do we, to me, you can't talk about immigration without bringing black people and white people into the conversation. Right. In the same way that you can't talk about gay people without bringing in straight people. Right. 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 And so it has to be a, it has to be an actual conversation. So what prevents it? What prevents it? People don't want to have a conversation. Yeah. People, they like you know, to, stick to, to me, I have to tell you, I, I'm exhausted by the whole woke resistance thing. I find that exhausting. Because? Because I don't think people actually want to talk to people who don't agree with them. Right. I think people only want to talk to people who already perpetuate their point of view or their anger. Mm-hmm. Now, you made a, a point a few minutes ago about how jolly I am about all this. Yeah. 
if I didn't have a sense of humor, it'd be over. I yeah. would have left. Right. If I if I was only angry and I didn't channel my anger, 100%. Maya Angelou had this great quote once. Yeah. I read she has this. so I, many. Oh, she had so I just many. put one up yesterday about was, my kids. Oh, really? I was yeah. watching, you know, I was obsessed with PBS when I was growing up. And she had this great interview with Bill Moyers. And she talked about anger is good, but you have to choreograph it. Mm-hmm. You have to dance it. You have to sing it. You have mm-hmm. to write it. Oh. Right? And so I'm angry. Are you kidding me? Of course I'm angry. I'm angry that I'm living in a country where most people don't even value their citizenship and I can't have it. Right. And you can't vote and you can't have... But I can't vote. You can't vote. That really sucks, man. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to vote. What am I, although <laughs> people tell me all the time, what do you mean you didn't vote for Hillary, for, for Hillary Clinton? What am I going to vote with? My Bank of America <laughs> debit card? Like, what am I? What? I according to Donald not? Trump, you did vote. Yes. Yes. According to Donald Trump, I did vote. You illegally documented yeah, yeah. immigrant so, voting. But, but this is really a question for me about, again, whom do we consider to be Americans? Mm-hmm. What do you consider to be a citizen then? <laughs> Ugh, the word citizenship is like sacred to me because I think it's like knowing that I have a right to exist, but also fully knowing that mm-hmm. the world does not revolve around me. Right, right. Knowing that, you know, you and I share a space, mm-hmm. right? And you have your needs and I have my needs. Right. And, you know, people now in progressive politics talks about this thing called intersectionality, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this term now, which is wonderful. But how do you put that into practice? And for me, how do you put that into practice if people don't agree with you? Mm-hmm. Right. Compromising is not a dirty word. So how do you do that? I think we. I'm trying to do it. One conversation. Because this seems like the high water mark of anti-immigration. Oh yeah. I mean, I think the only Which analogy. Which has happened before. I like the only analogy is the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So that was when we were saying that the Irish. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. not the Irish. The Polish and the Italians were not as desirable as the Germans. Right. 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 Or, the, or the British. And before before right? that, the the Irish. The, the Irish, of course. Right. I've been fascinated with Irish history. I didn't know much about it. Oh, I read, it's, it's. I did not know. I mean, I brutal. read um, how the Irish became white. Right. That, was an, that was an interesting read. Mm-hmm. So, but knowing that, the difference, though, is all those groups of Europeans could become this thing called white, mm-hmm. right? Asians and Latinos, some of us try, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we don't look white, right? And so that's why it's visible. The food is different. The mm-hmm. language is different. Mm-hmm. I was in Alabama. I'll never forget this. I think the, a month after I came out in 2011, I'm like, let's go to Alabama. Went to Alabama, went to Birmingham. I'm a reporter. Okay. Kara, what I've right? been to Alabama. Right. right? I was right outside um, I, w- I was right outside Birmingham. And the first thing I do is I go to Walmart. Wait, which one did you come out? The gay or the immigrant? Which oh, the immigrant. Okay, the immigrant. All right, sorry. I got it. 2011. Because I was like, don't go to Alabama necessarily as a gay right so away. So I, I like to go to Walmart to see what like, that— warm up in like Kansas or something. <laughs> warm up in Kansas. But I wanted to know what the ethnic food aisle is. Yeah. I'm like, what do they sell in the ethnic food aisle, right? Mm-hmm. Went to Walmart and then— on one aisle, there was this Latin woman and her mother, and they were t- speaking in Spanish. And in my aisle was this elderly white woman who then says out loud, why can't they just speak English? Mm-hmm. So, of course, I went to talk to her. Her name mm-hmm. was Connie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, you know, usually when we hear this story, you just hear that there's an elderly white woman yeah. saying. Yeah. So you get 20 minutes in the conversation. You know what I find out? Mm-hmm. Her, her kids just put her in a home. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know she what she meant. says 20 minutes into the conversation? What if I don't speak Spanish? Ah, uh, so you know, and I taken and I, care of by people. Speaking. And when I said to her, "Oh, you know, I think they speak I think English is still going to be the language of the country," you know, like yeah, I, but 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 the fear, sure, the anxiety about of about what if I don't speak that? What if language? I don't fit anymore? 
Yeah. Yes, it's all about it's a hundred percent about fear. But of but, being but but then where where does empathy here? Where does empathy go? And I'm not talking about like the blind empathy of just oh you know I mean you hear all these stories now read all these stories about the rural Trump voters. I get all of that, but at the end of the day, I think something incredible happened a few months ago that I'm still kind of processing. So the school district that I attended when I was in middle school decided to name an elementary school after me. Oh, which is. What? Bananas. It's, what? It's crazy. Yeah. It's Jose Antonio Vargas Elementary School. It's a public what? school from K to fifth grade. Where? On Wisman Road, six right. blocks from LinkedIn. I All mean, right. This is crazy. Okay. So the superintendent contacted me about it last fall for, on Twitter, and I thought he was joking. And then, because apparently there was a parent who's on the board who suggested that they name someone contemporary, yeah, right. and they had Steve Jobs to choose from, Barack mm-hmm. and Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. And somehow I won out. Mm-hmm. And it happened, and I I still kind of can't believe it happened because, you know, it's like, going to be 400 kids. You right, know, okay. right. And then I started thinking, you know, we are living in a time right now where our community has to decide who belongs. Right. You know, and I'm from Mountain View. Like, there's where, that's where I'm from. I can tell you, like, all the streets in Mountain View that cross the right, South Alto, right. Palo Alto, and Sunnyvale. So let's, let's finish up talking a little bit about what's going to happen. To, what are you going to do? You, you were talking when we were whether you're going to get uh, taken away by ICE. Could, that could happen at any time, correct? Well, any of the book tour stops. Yeah. But, you know, I've been prepared for that for the past seven years. Like, that's not. They've, I've already gone Why through the detention they? thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's not like I'm hiding. So you're in detention and they let you out? After eight hours. Right. I was out for eight hours. I was only there for eight hours and then mm-hmm. I got out. And then, of course, you know, when I How'd get— How'd you get out? I don't know. Actually, that's the thing. Actually, in the book, I write about that because mm-hmm. apparently, you know, people called high people in high places. This is when Obama was still president mm-hmm. and I got out. And I remember after it happened, I got so many private messages from a lot of undocumented people and activists who were angry at me. Yeah, because you got out. Because I got out. Yeah. So, so, now, I, um, so you could easily be detained and then... And then deported. Right. But, you know, well, actually, this so this is why I don't... not getting out. Well, I, yeah. well, my bond letters are written. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm ready. Right. Um, but I've been ready for a while. But here's my point, though. What I'm not ready for is the status quo. I'm not mm-hmm. ready... Because, you know, look, I mean, the conversation I have to have, that I have to have with myself every day is staying in this country is my choice. I have decided to stay. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but there are some days when I'm just kind of like, Okay, you don't want me here. Maybe I should just go. Because, you know, I kind of want to go see London. Everybody thinks I'm Mexican. I should at least go see Mexico. You right, know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. I kind of want to go see the world. My right. mom, 25 years. I don't know how to, like, I don't know what that looks like. Do you speak I don't know. to her? You speak? Yeah, we, of course. But I mean, I, I've yeah. been supporting her financially since I was, like, in my mid-20s, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of immigrant families do. But my, our relationship is I send money every month and that's it. <laughs> like, and I try, do I your brothers and sisters? So I, my sister was a year and a half when I left. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's now 26. And I have a brother who I haven't met who's now 20. Amazing. But, hey, they know me. I'm the guy that sends iPhones. <laughs> I'm the guy that sends basketball jerseys. I'm, but that's the thing, too. Like, when I think about immigrants in this country and, like, you know, documented or undocumented, sure. I think about just <laughs> we hide the feelings behind what we buy each other. Sure. Right? It's just, yeah. hey, well, you have an iPhone. It's better than eating, right? <laughs> it's better <laughs> than eating. Right? So you, you, there's the status quo is the status quo. Where is there hope of this? ever moving. I find, well, first Say the of, Democrats win the House. Well, and then let's say that they save DACA. Let's mm-hmm. say that they pass the DREAM Act. Let's say that they put immigration reform on the bill. Here's the thing, though, Kara, like, how many more billions of dollars do you want to spend on this border? Mm-hmm. Right. Especially considering that the fastest growing undocumented population are undocumented Asian people. Right. 
right? Right. Right. It's right. not Latinos. That's it's a big wall. Actual. It's, it's an ocean, it's right? An ocean. It's Indians. It's Chinese. It's Koreans. So, like, are we going to face facts about what the issue really is about? Because right. Right, right now, even all the Democratic people, even all the Democratic senators and Congress people are saying immigration reform. It's going to come with fifty billion dollars trying to build a border. About what? Which is why this gets back to the tech community. I don't, I don't like to use the term open borders because mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, the country has always been open so right. long as white people get, get to define what open is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but let's talk about reality, which is that we are living in the, in the greatest movement world has ever seen, mm-hmm. the greatest migration the world has ever seen. Many people are going to be migrating because of climate change. We mm-hmm. haven't really even talked about that, right? right. Like, people are going to have to move because of that. So how can tech companies help figure out. So how can they? Well, I think a lot of it is having these conversations and having platforms and having figuring out what only constitutes citizenship and how can these countries welcome all these people who are coming to their countries. But how can they actually help? They happen to have a lot of money and well, they have a lot that, of influence. But, but forward didn't work in many people's minds. Because right now, if you're looking at it from a policy or just law perspective, it hasn't worked for any of them, right? right? right. So I think for me, like... In, what would you do if you were Mark Zuckerberg? What's your next move? My next move would be trying to fund a cultural shift in this country, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would... So what, what Lorraine is doing, Lorraine Powell Jones. Yeah, like more of that. I mean, that's what we're trying to convince people to do, and not only because Define American is doing that work, but mm-hmm. just like one... Just, I have one organization doing that work mm-hmm. that's going up against like a multi-hundred million dollar right. machine. Right, and then there's right? races down in Texas, which is doing... The, but again, a lot of it is a lot of it is, is legal services. Legal so services, right now, right. most of the money is going to policy, and legal stop, services. Yes. To, yes. To, but how do we change the conversation community per community per community. Right. Right. To me, that 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 is where I'm going to put my work so long as I'm still here. So how do you get that when you have such a pervasive imagery of immigrants that still, even though they're so different, every group is so different and, and everyone has different needs and mm-hmm. issues, how do you change that given— Well, first of all, I think we have to know what it is. For example, we're actually partnering with the Norman Lear Center and the Hollywood mm-hmm. Reporter to actually do a study of how immigrants are portrayed in the top 100 television shows. Right. Again, taking a page out of GLAD. Yeah. yeah. Right? So then we know that. Remember back in the day when HBO would be like, we won a GLAD award for Angels in America. Right. I mean, this is this is the analogy mm-hmm. that I like to say. Alec Baldwin says something homophobic. He apologizes the next day. He gives money to GLAD and then poof, right? Mm-hmm. In this country, thankfully, we live in a country where to be openly homophobic, is no longer culturally acceptable. No, no. But we live in a country where being anti-immigrant is not only acceptable, it wins you the White House. Right, right. That so, is a, that, again, that, that is, is a, a real, cultural yeah. shift. That yeah. is a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. And right now, you know, when I was in high school, I came out in high school when I was a junior. When I graduated from high school, they started a gay-straight alliance. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was. And then I went back to the high school, and it was so interesting that it was 20 members, and most of them were straight. Yeah, I know that. Right? <laughs> I was like, what? What is this? So we used that model. So now we have about 60 defined American college chapters across the country, right. um, you know, in places that need them, Nebraska, right. Iowa. Right. And it's mostly U.S citizen kids, mm-hmm. white, black, Latin kids who have heard about this immigration thing and right. they don't know how to help. Right. So that's that's kind of how we're taking what we're doing nationally at the local level. So if you could wave a wand and get rid of one media outlet that's causing the most Fox news. news. Yeah. And, you know, I, I struggled with that because in the beginning, why even go? You know, why go on? Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been on like pretty much all of them except Hannity. I haven't done Hannity. Um, I just have not. Yeah. You suggest that I do? No. Uh, you know what? No. That bag of rage? No, there's nothing. <laughs> 
So I, I, I find I, out he's like a cross-dressing. <laughs> that's what's okay, that's that's it, you know what I mean? That's At some hilarious. point. Come on. It, fe- it feels so Jimmy Swagger but, but, to me. But what I found out is I remember when I went on Lou Dobbs the first time, I get an email from mm-hmm. like the president of the Chamber of Commerce in like Oklahoma somewhere. And he goes, young man, would you come talk to my Chamber of Commerce and mm-hmm. bring your tax forms? Yeah. So I did. <laughs> yeah. So meaning like I don't yeah. I don't want to assume that the people who watch yes, Fox yeah. News are the people who are on Fox News. Right. And so I've gone on quite a few times. But for me, we can't make this simply a Democratic issue. No, 100 We have to talk to as many Republicans and conservatives who want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I can't I, I can't just play one with the progressive game here. Progress should not have a party. Mm-hmm. Progress should not have a party. You're 100 percent right. You're 100 percent right. And so you're going on this book tour. And then what's yes. next for you? you do, do, uh, making Defining America. So Define America. And so I employ like 18 people now, which is mm-hmm. pretty good for me, <laughs> like, yeah. right? So I'm proud to be an undocumented person who employs 18 people. Um, we're growing, and hopefully. And pay. Whenever I write that check, I love America. I love America. <laughs> <laughs> I love America. I love America. My my grandmother has great Medicaid. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, she, has a social ser- she has a social service woman in Mountain who, like, takes care of her. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to pay it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I pay taxes. I employ people. The only thing for me is, like, I just can't let this define me. You know? Right. Like, I can't just be, quote, unquote, the undocumented person. Right. You know, I'm more than that. And that's why the book for me was about kind of independence from all these narrative that is mm-hmm. all policy and politics driven. Right. Right. I'm actually like a human being trying to like be productive. It's also the story of America. Really. Well. You know what I mean? The real story of America, really. Yeah. If you think about it. There's so many uh, narratives, false narratives that get piled on top of each other. And I got to say, Trump's good at it. Very good at it. And I think... On- He's made it about the world. One of the things I was talking about... I was like, stop speaking his language, speak our language. You know what I mean? Stop talking in his terms, talk in our terms. The question now, though, is what are we trying to build together? Mm-hmm. You know what, what worries me right now? What worries me right now is it seems to me that a lot of, a lot of people not only just want to stick to their group, but it, it's almost like we don't want white people to get involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's this, this kind of this— there's a lot of reports from Pew saying, you know, look, white people are going to become the minority in like 2050. It's like there's like a stopwatch, yeah, like, right? So can you imagine if you're like one of these white people in yeah, Oklahoma somewhere and you're yeah. watching that watch? Yeah. So then how do we how do we make them a part of that conversation? But it, I think it's multifaceted because when of course, if you it think is, totally. of the gay, the gay thing, I think just as much as the, the palatable gays started mm-hmm, and the stories mm-hmm. started of happy gays kind yeah. of things or whatever, I think the anger was a critical part of it. I think AIDS was a critical part of it, like the AIDS movement. Um, I think I think if I had to say one group that was the most important was ACT UP. Oh, yeah. I it profiled just, Larry Kramer when I was it at the definitely, It definitely <laughs> made me change. That I was, was the first, awakening. Yeah. yeah, you went along and you went along and you sort of put up with stuff and that was the moment I was like, that's enough. I thought I thought what was happening and what's happening at the border with the kids being caged, I thought that mm-hmm. was going to be like an angry, and it was for yeah. like two weeks and then yeah. it died. Well, that's because the news cycle, that's a whole different story. Uh, but but this is where the media part of it is so yes. crucial. Yeah. Because then how do you keep it going? They tried. You try. You try. What you happens is he creates distort, distractions yep. and distortions. Now we're in the Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh now we're having a discussion about guys that grope you in high school, which I think everybody has those stories. Every woman has those stories, and me too. So it's a really—the it's the, the news cycle is insane. Anyway, this is a critical book you all need to read. It's uh, uh, Jose Antonio Vargas Without an Accent. In the E. <laughs> Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. Is that your actual finger? Yeah. Oh, no, no. That's not—that's my handwriting. That's not the fingerprint. Good. That is a step too far for the lawyers. Yeah, exactly. I figured that. <laughs> Anyway, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.
You're a great uh, uh, citizen of this country. Thank you. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find more episodes of Recode Decode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you didn't like this interview, you really should. Just please, just do yourself a favor and like it. If you just want to say hi, tweet at me. I'm at Kara Swisher on Twitter. Now that you're done with this, go check out the latest episode of Recode Media. You can find that show wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. <laughs>